You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. We've been out of the book of Mark for a few weeks because of New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve, but we're getting back into the book of Mark. And so if you haven't been with us, we've been doing verse-by-verse study of the book of Mark. Some weeks we only go through a few verses. Today we'll be going through a lot of verses um, because we're looking at the parables. We're starting to look at the parables. But today our verses are Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. So uh, I, I'll be teaching out of the New Living Translation. If you don't have that translation, uh, I have it up on the PowerPoint screen for you so you can follow along or you can share with someone next to you. Or if you notice uh, either door, there's a table with Bibles on it and those are New Living Translation. You can absolutely grab one every Sunday, take it home with you if you want to keep it. Uh, no problem. We want the Word of God in your guys' hands and so happy to do that. But uh, why don't you join with me, <clears throat> get myself there. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20 says this. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, and he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the, while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil and underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as they had planted. Then he said, anyone who uh, who has ears to hear should listen and understand. Verse 10. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, not only to have Satan come come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who heard God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things so no fruit is produced. But the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have your word with us, that we, that we can read it and study it and examine it. And thank you that that's its intended purpose for our lives, to equip us, to train us, to correct us, and to lead us into paths of righteousness. God, would you do all those things this, this morning? We ask God, even as the parable would say, that you would soften our hearts, that we would be a people, that the soil of our hearts, so to speak, would be that soft, fertile soil to receive and apply and walk in your word. And so, God, would you give us understanding to what your word means, how it applies to our own lives? We just ask in power and in might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would do so today. We want to be a people that, that our lives and our witness bear much fruit. God, we pray that in our individual lives as a church, that we would be a church that, that obey the word of God that we follow the word of God and that there's fruit, that our lives and our church bear fruit. And as your word would say, that, that people would see our good deeds and that they, in, in light of that, that they would worship and glorify our Father who's in heaven. And so God, would you, would you do this? Pray that you just anoint our time. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Come on. So we pick up in the book of Mark, and Jesus once again is overwhelmed by the crowds. That's been a, uh, a common thing, that there's so many people that are coming to see Jesus, what he's doing, the miracles that he's performing. I mean, it's gone viral, word is being spread, and people coming, are coming from all over, upwards of 100 miles, and they're traveling by foot, maybe a mule. I mean, this is a day, days upon days journey to see Jesus. And there's so many people that are coming to him that, that the crowds ha have actually become too much now. And he's in this situation in chapter 4 as he teaches. He's in a boat on this, in the Sea of Galilee and people are on the lake shore and the boat is his pulpit. He is teaching from the boat because literally there's nowhere to stand. It's funny as he anticipated this, actually in uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 9, he told the disciples to get the boat ready. He didn't use it, but now he's using it. So many people are coming to see Jesus. They're coming to see what this like, hoopla is about, like what is going on. We hear that, that people are being forgiven of their sins. We pe the people that are demon-possessed are being freed. People that couldn't walk are, are walking now. What is happening? And in the midst of that, he, he teaches them, whether it be in the synagogue or in conversation. And so now, Jesus, the story kind of shifts. And much of the rest of the gospel, Jesus teaches in the form of story or the form of parable. I mean, Jesus is literally talking story with, with the crowds. And he's using analogies and illustrations. And he's, and he's using story to tell spiritual truths. And Jesus uses this for one-third of his teaching. Like one-third of Jesus' teaching is in, the storm of, uh, is in the form of a parable. And so it's really important that we understand how parables work and how they mean. For instance, next week, there's three more parables that we're going to look at even just next Sunday. 
Jesus continues to use the form of story to teach spiritual truths. And we've read it over and over. If you read any of the Gospels, you'll, you'll see them, specifically Matthew, Luke, uh, and, and Mark. They use story after story, parable after parable to communicate gospel truths. By definition, just the simple definition of the word parable is to set alongside. And so when Jesus would use parables, the idea was that he was setting a spiritual truth alongside a daily truth for living. He was using a common, relatable topic so that people would go, oh, I understand that. Like, for instance, in our story, in our parable today, it was farming. Many, if not everyone, did some type of farming because that's how they ate and everyone did it. And so they immediately got it. They understood it. But he was using a common, relatable topic to try to explain an intangible spiritual concept or truth. Once they understood this story or illustration, he would go, well, that means this. And in the same way that the farmer does this, this is what I do. And so this is what parables are. They're stories with common, relatable topics that are trying to explain a deeper truth. It's been said that parables can be related uh, or an illustration for how to explain a parable. It can be a window, a mirror, and a door. I'll explain a window is that each parable is trying to tell a part of a story or a certain specific truth. The trouble that we can get in if we're, we don't know that is we can read into parables. Every character of every parable and everything said is supposed to mean something. That's not how they're intended to be read. There is a truth. We should listen to it. But usually it's broad or it's specific and it doesn't encapsulate everything. And so it's like a window to a house where you see partially into that house, but you don't see everything. But you see a certain part depending on your perspective. And so a parable can be likened to a window um, that, we're, that, we're, that is trying to explain a part or a portion or a specific subject. But not only that, it's also a mirror. These parables that Jesus would, would tell and he's telling today are like a mirror in that a parable is meant for us to see ourselves in them. Like we're supposed to see ourselves in the character's story and how he or she reacted and how it played out. It's meant, or at least it should be, a way to illuminate or uncover or have us discover how this illustration applies or relates to us. And so as we look in this mirror, so to speak, of these truths that Jesus is talking about, they're intended that we see ourselves in them. Or at least we are challenged to see ourselves. Or, or what God and what Jesus is doing through them is supposed to try to get our attention. We understand what you're saying. Yes, we relate to that. And so then he points it and says, well, what does it mean for you? How does this look in your own life? How is this for you? Yes, I know you understand the story, but how is it? Uh, compared to your own story. And also a parable can be likened to a door in that house, right? So not only is it a window where we see a specific subject and a mirror that points back to our own lives, but it could be a door that invites us into the story. It's supposed to give us a chance to respond. There's supposed to be some kind of response there or something that, that challenges us to do something or not do something, to come in, to partake. 
Parables are open invitations for change and to allow Jesus to come in or you to go meet with Jesus. They're intended for us to enter into that story. It, it, a parable always was intended for a call to response. Okay, here's the truth. Here's what it may or may not say about me. Okay, I get that. So what, what am I going to do about that now? Am I going to allow the Lord to change me? And am I, am I going to obey that thing? So on and so forth. This parable this morning, I'm sure that almost all of us have either said or we've shared or we've prayed for. It's a really common one. And it's often referred to as the parable of the sower. But as we'll see, it's not actually so much about the sower. It's actually about the soil. It's often called the parable of the sower, but it should really be called the parable of the soils. See, the difference is, is never the seed. That's not necessarily the importance, so to speak. But it's the kind of soil that the seed falls on. And we'll see that in a moment. But Jesus, in the midst of this parable, in verse 13, as he's describing the meaning of it to his disciples after his disciples don't really get, get it, but they're curious, but they're wanting to know. They come and ask him, and in verse 13, he says, this parable is the key to all the parables. If you don't understand this, if you can't grasp it, if you can't understand it, if you don't receive this, then you're not going to receive any parable. And so there is quite an importance with this one. Even Jesus himself says it. And if that... Uh, Window, mirror, door analogy did not work for you. I'll give you three helpful points to add to that illustration to understand parables and specifically this parable. Because again, Jesus himself says, we got to try to understand what he's saying. Else one third of his teaching won't make sense. So we're going to look at the purpose of parables, the power of parables, and the importance of the hearer's response. Really simple, but the, the purpose, why Jesus did you do this? We kind of understand what they're about. But the purpose of the parables, the power of the parables, and the importance of the hearer's response, specifically in light of this morning. The first thing is Jesus is trying to relate to his audience by the time and setting they were in. But not only that, is that uh, if someone's telling a story... Usually a good story has a hook to it, right? The first page or the first chapter or even if you're watching story in visual form, the start of a movie or the start of a TV show is supposed to grab you. And a lot of times it's either something suspenseful or it's something that's relatable that you can say like, oh yeah, that's me or wait a second, that just happened to me or oh, I wonder what's going to happen because I care about that. But when we don't understand, when we don't know, and when nothing relates to us, it's really hard to grab our attention. So what's happening is, is that Jesus is making us think and ask questions and wonder, and it's supposed, to it's supposed to grab us a bit. But not only that, his purpose is that it would really test our heart and our faith and our belief in him. The disciples cared enough to figure it out and so they came back and said Jesus tell me what you're saying I don't understand what you're saying but tell me but not everybody was like that they heard Jesus was talking he's in the boat they're on the shore but not everyone by any means cared actually we're going to see a lot of people did not care 
what Jesus was saying. Only the disciples came to him and asked questions. But again, the purpose of the parables was to, to not only relate and grab, but also to make us think and ask questions and really go to deeper issues of the heart and concerning our faith and our belief in God. The power of parables, again, is like that mirror in that it illuminates and tells us something much greater than the story was telling. If you read this parable and you only think it's about farming, you missed it. You've only got one half. You don't even understand the point of the story. Or if you thought this parable was about um, anything else, you know, any other subject, you would be missing the point. If you were thinking it was anything else other than receiving God's word, if it was about even love and grace and mercy and anything, you just wouldn't understand it. It wouldn't relate to you. But the power of parables is that it's speaking of a spiritual subject relating to humanity and God. Like it's, it's about something so much deeper than this temporal illustration that Jesus is giving. An example of that in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel is just after David just committed this horrific like sex and murder scandal, right, with Bathsheba. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, then he kills uh, Bathsheba's husband. I mean, this is the king of Israel. This is King David. He does this. And the prophet Nathan comes to him with a story. It's actually, it says, it, with parable. So the prophet Nathan comes to David and he starts telling this parable. And the parable is just about this rich man that has everything and this poor man that comes to him. And the rich man takes the poor man's possessions and pretty much robs him and does wrong to him. It's very short of what it actually says. But David responds to this parable that Nathan's saying to him as, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that this guy would do that. He should die for it. And Nathan says, this story is about you, David. This is what you did to Bathsheba and Uriah. This is your life. This is the mirror pointed back at you. And David realizes that that what he has done is a grave sin, and actually it causes him to repent. It leads him to repentance. So this common story parable that Nathan gives, that has nothing to do, David thinks about himself. Nathan, David doesn't see himself in it. Nathan has to say, that is you. But a parable there's power in it because it's intended to stir up and illuminate something greater in our lives. And what we'll see today is that there is the most important part is the way in which you respond to the story, the parable, the truth that's communicated. Right? For David, he needed to realize and receive and respond, and he didn't have to. But he did, he did, he responded, he repented, he realized that he had sinned against the Lord, and because of that, he, he, he responded in that way. But the same is for us, and, and today, the, the main point of this story is whether or not we receive God's word and what it says. Right? In this case, or our text today, there's three out of four of the hearers of this parable do not believe, do not follow, do not obey, and do not trust in the word of God. 
right? Jesus goes on and he responds to the disciples' question of what did you mean by this farmer analogy and the different types of soils? And he goes on and he explains it. And what we see is that the seed, the word of God, fell on four different soils, right? On the pathway or the wayside, on the rocky ground, on the rock, or on thorny ground. And there was only one that fell on good ground. Just by, just by sheer numbers, 75% of the hearers in this story did not respond well to God's word. And again, it's not supposed to just be that proportion. It's not supposed to be like, oh, that, this parable means that 75% of people aren't going to receive God. It's like, remember, don't make parables where they're not supposed to be. But the point is, is that there was only one soil of a heart. There was only one group of people that responded to God's word, and it produced fruit, right? Everyone else. There was no one else in this story that heard God's word and responded well to it. And the notion here is that people can't hear it, or, or Jesus is doing it in secret, and he talks about that. And it wasn't that he was trying to make it incomprehensible or in a way that someone couldn't understand. And it wasn't, he wasn't trying to speak in parables just to confuse people for fun. But you see, un, you have to understand, in that climate, there was much disbelief. Many were calling him a blasphemer. Many people were not responding well and not receiving. And so Jesus began to speak in parables only for, for only those who had faith and the belief to trust in him could understand. Only those that wanted him, wanted to believe, only the people that wanted to respond to him would actually understand them or they were intended for those that were open to what Jesus had to say. To be honest, our world and our hearts are no different, right? The world is very much the same when it comes to the word of God. Like many don't believe. Absolutely. Many, many people think this is just a bunch of nonsense. Many people absolutely not even, don't even hear it, don't even want to hear it, but don't believe, don't trust in it, don't live by it, right? That, that's much of the world we live in. There's not many that take it serious and deeply plan it and, and it, and it transforms us from the inside out and produces this, this fruit, right? This 30, 60, 100-fold crop that comes from the word of God being implanted in our lives. But again, he, he, he specifically points out there's, there's really four different ways that you can receive or not receive the word of God, right? The, the first one is, when seed or when the word of God is thrown along the footpath or the wayside. Jesus would say that what it means by that, verse 15, is that the seed that falls on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. What, what he's saying there is that there's those that when they hear the word of God, they reject it. They deny it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. And Satan, being a real power of darkness, takes advantage of that and comes and just robs them. Takes it from them. Takes that, those, those unbelievable, supernatural, powerful truths away from them because their hearts were hardened and they denied it and they rejected God's word. Right? And there's, there's many people that we know. Family, friends, co-workers. 
that, re- that, that absolutely do that when they hear the word of God. They just reject it. They don't think it's anything. They deny it, and they do not believe that it's truth or God's word. Also, there's rocky soil, right? There's the seeds that fall on rocky soil or, or, or ground on the rock. Verse 16, he said, the, the seed or the word of God that falls on rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long, they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. And maybe some of us can relate to this or could relate to this at one time, but we hear God's word or we come to church or there's a certain truth or there's a certain message or sermon that we hear and that we're just super pumped on and it helped me and it made me stoked and happy, but then all of a sudden the week happens and wait a second. Life isn't just as peachy, and I'm not just as joyful, and wait, I'm being persecuted, and I'm going through a trial, and all of a sudden, we become like a fair-weather Christian, so to speak, or a fair-weather follower, right? That we want to hear God's word, and it makes us good, but when it tells us to do something that we don't want to do, okay, we're out. Or if it's going to make our lives harder, we're out. It's the word of God when it's not implanted deeply, when it's not trusted in fully, It says that the roots have not taken root. And so what happens is, is it's quickly, we quickly fall away. Then he goes into this idea that when the word of God falls on thorny soil or the thorns in verse 18, he said the seed or the word of God that falls along the thorns represents others who hear God's word, right? We hear it. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. Now, these type of people, these could be us that we value God's word, right? We, We believe it's God's word, we value it, but we don't value it as much. Like, we like what it says. We're into some of it. We're maybe into most of it, but we care more about other stuff, other voices, other ways to live. We care more about maybe people's opinions than God's word, right? That's what it's saying is that these type of people, we value God's word, but they're distracted from God's word by worldly things, whether it's the worries of life, the lure of wealth, or the desire for other things. And those things trump it. They nullify God's word. God's word begins to take a back seat in their lives because they're just believing something else. Right? Jesus is describing all these different ways that humanity may or may not receive and live by God's word. And then he says, but there's one soil of the heart that produces fruit. He says, the seed that falls on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest, right? A crop of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted, right? This is when we believe in God's word. We receive it. We respond to it. And there's fruit. There's results from it. Like the word of God is implanted in such a way that it transforms us and it bears much fruit in our life. It's very different than the people that just believe parts of it or live for God sometimes or care about God's word but not more than other things or very different from obviously those that reject and deny it. But there is a heart. There is the soil of a heart 
that believes God's word, receives it, responds in such a way that there's fruit. And what's interesting, Jesus saying this in chapter 4, is that the first three chapters of the book of Mark, we've seen this played out. Right? The religious leaders, they rejected Jesus entirely. I mean, they are calling him a blasphemer. They're, they're those like on the first soil, on the footpath or the wayside, where they've been robbed of God's truth because they've denied it. Then there's also the crowds, right? The crowds from near and far, hundreds if not thousands of people have come to see Jesus. But they really just want to do it for themselves. They kind of want to get what they want to get. They want to be healed and be done with it. And so many don't follow. When things get hard, when things don't go their way, when it's not easy and convenient, the crowds leave and they fail to follow Jesus. Even Jesus' family, we saw how they responded last week. They were so concerned by their reputation that when they heard Jesus was like down in Capernaum making like a ruckus and, and crowds were coming around, they, they went to go get him. Like, Jesus, you're crazy. Like, you're making a mess here. You're, you're, you're giving our family name a bad name. You need to come with us and you need to stop what you're doing. I mean, even his own family were so concerned with how they looked in life the worries of this life, that they failed to respond to him. But then the disciples, right? The disciples, on the other hand, believed it, obeyed, and followed. And so keeping in proper interpretation of a parable, we have to ask the question, how do we respond to God's word? Yes, that's a good story. Yes, that's a good parable. But it is supposed to be a mirror into our own lives. And we have to ask the question, how we respond. Right? Whether it's a teaching like this, a podcast, a personal reading for you, uh, a verse on Instagram, a verse on a coffee cup you see. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to God's word? Now, it's easy to say, I respond to God's word when the verse is like, have joy always, or you are loved. You're like, yeah, I know. This is awesome. But what if it's like, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? What if it's like, give up all your wealth and give it to the poor? You know, what if it's, what if it's harder things? Things that confront your comfortability and your lifestyle and your ways of life. How do we respond then? Right? Because there's ways you can respond. You can respond. You have the choice to respond to God's word or not. Like in the same way, when someone comes to you with uh, maybe an encouragement or maybe it's more like a correction or a rebuke or when there's someone in your life that comes to you with something how do you respond? Most of us are like prideful, defensive. I didn't do anything wrong. Here's why I did that that way. Excuses. Or you can respond humbly. You can respond going, okay, I want to receive. I want to hear what you're saying. Or you might be like, I want to receive everything you have because I know who I am. And I just need to, I, yes, please come. Right? We can respond even differently to each other all the time. You can do the same thing with God's word. Absolutely. And Christian or non-Christian, you can do the same thing because God's word is his will and his will is his word. And so we read it and we're, and we're to meditate on it. And it's supposed to guide our life and be a lamp unto our feet. And there's everything in it pertaining to life and godliness. And so it really is supposed to direct and tell us and show us who God is and how we're to live. And so it actually confronts everything 
about our life. I mean, everything about our life. And so, so constantly, you have a choice. Do I obey? Do I not? Do I respond? Do I receive that? And really, the only way to know how we're receiving God's word, like how are we doing, what, okay, what's the soil of my heart, okay, is, is the fruit, right, is the results, it's the change, it's the growth. The only way that we really know that God's word is taking root or we're receiving it the way we should is that the seed, the seed of God's word grows and produces a crop. And Jesus, even on the Sermon of the Mount, the famous sermon up on the Mount of Beatitudes, the longest recorded sermon we have, Jesus says to the crowds, to the disciples, he said, you will know my followers, you'll know my disciples by their fruit, meaning by their lives. Not necessarily because they say the right things, but their lives will look like mine. Their lives, their lives will look differently. They will glorify God. They will, they will be in accordance and obedience to God's word. You will know my disciples by their fruit. You know what we're really good at? And I think I've said this before, but we're really good at making God and Christianity and church really complicated. We're so good at complicating things that are not meant to be complicated but at the heart of it, like at the heart of what we're doing and who we are and our, and our walks with the Lord, the heart of it is we need to ask ourselves, do we believe God's word and what God's word points us to? Do we believe that and do we obey it? That's it. Like that, that's really at the root, at the core of our faith of what a church should be like, of what our walk should be like, is do we believe God's word and what it says about God? And do, do we respond to it? Do we receive it? Do we believe in it? And do we allow it to change us? Right? That, 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 that's everything. Do we trust in, rely upon, and obey the words that God has spoken to us? That's why like, we, we elevate and we spend so much time like, in the word of God. And sometimes I'm very long-winded on Sunday mornings. You're like, I know that. Yes, you are. It's because, and we try, I try to not make it be my words, but God's word. Because his words are the only words that matter. His word is, is this, this word is God-breathed and God-inspired and without error and infallible and like a fire and a hammer. And it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it's powerful. And it's God's word for humanity. He's left it for us and it speaks of himself. It tells us about Jesus. It points us back to the author and perfecter of our faith. So when the Bible is read and preached and taught or counseled to you, it's like a seed. It's like a seed that is planted. And so the question would be is, are we, where are we? Are we rejecting it? Are we distracted? Do we care more about other things than what God's word says? Or are we receptive? Because I think sometimes we fail to remember what this is. Right? We, we, we so often either complicate it or we just turn it into a bunch of do's and don'ts. Oh, this is the way that you don't have fun anymore in life. Oh, this, this actually like, kills your joy. 
This restricts you now. No, actually it frees you. No, it actually puts up these God-designed boundaries that you can actually enjoy him and enjoy life and, and be exactly where you needed to be because God knows what's best for you and he wants to try to keep you from messing that up. And messing... <laughs> God knows what's best, and he's given us by his grace his word so that we would walk and obey it. And some of you guys may be in this room this morning and go, okay, well, yeah, I'm kind of tracking. I'm there. I feel like I'm there, but I just don't maybe feel like I've ever seemed to get traction in my life or progress. You know, I've been going to church for so long, and I've been involved with Bible studies, and, you know, I try to read my Bible in the morning, but I just feel like there's, like, no traction. And it may be due to, to us not truly believing and trusting in and obeying and following God's word in this way. And so what I, I would challenge us to assess like the condition of our heart's soil, so to speak. And I think that we individually and as a church need to pray that we would be a people that have a, a surrendered heart. Like, surrender to God. Like, God, you know what's best. I want to hear from you. Yes, I receive it. I'm not defensive. I don't know what's best. I want to hear from you. Like, a surrendered heart. But then we also need a trusting heart. Like, okay, God, yeah. I trust your word. I trust what it says to be best. I, I trust that your promises are yes and amen. But also that we have a believing heart. That we believe the words that God said. We believe who it points us to. That we have faith that it's embedded in our hearts, and that we would produce much fruit. And if there's anything that I desire for us is that we would bear much fruit, right? In your lives, in this church, for God's kingdom going forth, that we would get everything that God has for us, that we would not miss out, that we would not be believers that just kind of are just going with it, and I go to church, and I do my thing, but like you, 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 you're used by God. God meets you. God, God transforms you in such a way that, you, I mean, think of that. Your life for God's kingdom producing 30, 60, 100-fold fruit, meaning like a lot of unbelievable crop. What if all of us did that? I mean, you know, you know what I'm getting at. God's intended purpose is for us to admit that he's God and we're not. And his words are better than our words and that we should trust. His word and his way is worth trusting your entire life to. And throwing your life at it. And allowing it to speak to you and allowing it to lead you. It's the way it's meant to be. But again, the question is how are we responding to those truths? Like David when he's confronted like the disciples, like the crowds, like the religious leaders, like us in this room, how do we respond to that? Do we obey? Do we believe? Do we trust? Or are we running and pushing and denying and rejecting? My plea is for you to surrender, trust, and believe in Jesus and his word and allow him to meet you and produce much fruit in your lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.